Hello, my name's Michael Crick and welcome to Mugshots, a weekly podcast where we examine the character and career of some big shot in public life, somebody who's trying to lead and change our world. Having looked at Paul Dacre, Angela Rayner, Jurgen Klopp and Ron DeSantis in recent weeks, among others, today we're painting a portrait of Sir Keir Starmer, who last week celebrated his third birthday. As leader of the Labour Party, that is. And in less than two years, Sir Keir could be in Downing Street as the seventh Prime Minister in Labour history. Sir Keir was a latecomer to politics after nearly 30 years in the law. And, like Rishi Sunak, he's only been an MP since 2015. That means there's rather less political record to help us explore who Starmer really is. Now, the polls suggest that Starmer has a bit of a personal problem with the British public. Voters like his party a lot more than they like him, which isn't a good position for a party leader. Indeed, the boss of the pollsters Ipsos said a few days ago that he could be the least popular opposition leader to become prime minister in modern history. Voters say they don't know what he stands for, that he's underwhelming and sparks little enthusiasm. So, to get a better idea of who Starmer is, I've delved back into his legal past and spoken to two socialist lawyers who've known Sakir since the late 1980s. The Labour peer, Baroness Helena Kennedy, knew Starmer when he was a young barrister's pupil and joined her chambers in 1987. Helena Kennedy, if you had to sum up Keir Starmer in three adjectives, what would they be? Principled. Brilliant. Strategic. Professor Bill Bowring, a barrister who's now also an academic, first came across the young Starmer in a group of radical lawyers. Ambitious, moderniser, ruthless. Keir Rodney Starmer was born in London on the 2nd of September 1962, named Keir, it said, by his Labour-supporting parents after the very first Labour leader, Keir Hardy. No pressure there, then. The family moved to Surrey, where Starmer's father was a toolmaker and his mother, Jo, was a nurse, though she suffered the rare arthritic Stills disease. So life wasn't easy for a family of six in their small home on the outskirts of Oxted. Keir passed the 11-plus, went to Rygate Grammar School and was a leading figure in the East Surrey Labour Party Young Socialists. Not a big organisation, I imagine. He was also very musical and played the flute, the violin and the piano and attended the Guildhall School of Music. Michael Ashcroft's biography shows how Starmer spent half his gap year helping disabled people at a studies centre in Cornwall. He then studied law at Leeds and at Oxford, where he helped to edit a Trotskyist magazine called Socialist Alternatives. Finally, he took the exams to become a barrister. Here's Helena Kennedy again. Keir um, was a pupil in our chambers. He had done his bar exams and had, and had been very, very uh, successful academically. And so he, we brought him in as a, as a pupil. And he, he was um, very, very much one of the cleverest that we'd had. And we're a pretty demanding set of chambers. And we, I, oh, my first memory of him was here was this really rather 
nice looking young man, incredibly um, bristling with uh, eagerness. And, uh, and we all used to, the more senior people in chambers like myself and um, Jeff Robertson and uh, the other QCs, Edward Fitzgerald, um, Casey's now, but we used to argue over having him to work on cases we were doing because he was such a great researcher. He was terrific at um, also, you could give him a pile of papers, you know, uh, two feet high, and, uh, and in big cases, that's the volume of material you would get. And he could you know, go away overnight and he could synthesize it. He could sort of hone it all down and give you a sort of three sheets of paper with all the key issues of law and the key evidential factual is- areas that uh, related to it. And he would be able to do this incredible summation. So that, that was why uh, that was my first memory of him was that he was one of the brightest and best pupils we'd ever had. Did you see him as a future politician, a future leader of the Labour Party? Not at all. I saw him as a future judge. I didn't anticipate um, that he would go into politics at all. Um, I thought he was such a brilliant lawyer that he would stay in the law. Um, A point came. I mean, he did lots and lots of interesting work. And he was my junior, certainly in a big murder trial. Um, And I remember very well the work he did with me on it. Um, I also remember that he did a lot of good pro bono work, and uh, and some of that was on death penalty cases in both the Caribbean and in uh, countries in Africa. And he was very, very committed. And those are very demanding and difficult cases, Michael, because you really are carrying the, the life of people in your hands. And, uh, and he was a very, very good advocate Um, in the courts and and had such a fine mind that he was always very respected by judges. I saw him as a lawyer. It was also in the late 1980s that Bill Baring got to know the young Starmer. You say he was ambitious. What was he ambitious to do? I mean, did he intend one day to go into politics, do you think? I don't think he could have foreseen exactly the course that things would take. But what I say is, if you told him way back in 1987 that he would become Sir Keir Starmer KC, former Director of Public Prosecutions, leader of the Labour Party, potential Prime Minister, he wouldn't have uh, batted an eyelid, I don't think. So there was always that sort of slight political side to him, nagging away that it might be an option. More so than that. But uh, And of course, you know, life created opportunities for him and he took them. However, uh, he was always and still is very keen to tell people how working class he is. And when I originally knew him, that took, I mean, he would mention it now and then. He certainly regarded himself as more working class than most of the barristers, and that may have been true. And, for example, he played five-a-side football on the weekends, so that was part of it. And uh, he would like a pint of beer. Do you regard him as coming from a working-class background? Um, certainly, he came from a very lower-middle-class background. You know, his father was a toolmaker, as we know. Um, and he was able to get uh, pretty well educated. Um, he certainly, he was not in the organised industrial working class. And I don't think Keir has ever got to know really anything very much about trade unions. In the 1980s, Bill Bowering and 30 other Labour councillors in Lambeth refused to set a legal budget in protest against the Thatcher government's financial controls on councils. 
he and his Labour colleagues were all disqualified from holding public office for five years for what Baring admits was deliberately breaking the law. That's not something that Starmer would ever do, he says. Keir Starmer would never break the law, you think? Absolutely not. Do you think he's ever taken drugs? I think I can say categorically he's never taken drugs. Both Bill Baring and Helena Kennedy were heavily involved with Starmer in the Haldane Society, a group of socialist and left-wing lawyers, many of whom were communists, though the society was named after Lord Haldane, a former liberal imperialist who briefly served as Lord Chancellor during the first Labour government of Ramsay MacDonald in 1924. Now, Starmer, just 27, and still a very junior lawyer, wanted to modernise the Haldane Society and produced a programme to make it more like the well-known campaigning civil rights group Liberty. He urged his Haldane colleagues to reject their rather chaotic past and adopt a more professional, disciplined way of doing things, to modernise. His most contentious suggestion, though, was that they should ditch the term socialist and call themselves progressive instead. Keir argued for and got for a period uh, premises, a paid worker and a separate educational trust, just as Liberty has, um, to carry out legal training for money. That's uh, continuing professional development training. And so for a period, Haldane had, which it had never had in its past, um, premises and a worker and a educational trust with um, money-making uh, training programmes. But he wanted to get rid of the name Haldane, which was named after the uh, the first Labour Lord Chancellor. He wanted to get rid of socialist. And get rid of, he wanted to get rid of the word socialist. Absolutely. In an angry debate, Starmer was defeated on the name changes, but persuaded colleagues to accept his other modernisation plans. So what does this tell us about Starmer then? All the way through his career, he's been a moderniser and a technocrat. So that's how he started with Haldane. He was certainly a very good organiser. And here's Helena Kennedy on how Starmer tried to modernise the Haldane society. He was always um, incredibly sensible and always had a sort of very strong sense that, you know, uh, organisations can be all over the shop. And he always had a rather fine mind about making things work well. And, uh, and that people who were specialists in immigration law and people who were specialists in housing law, that they should pull, pull their experience in order to look at whether the law needed reform, how it could be uh, more effective in uh, delivering justice for particular sections of the community. So he did try to get it to be a much more, uh, you know, rather than a crowd of people just meeting and having talks, um, which, you know, um, lots of organisations do, he wanted it to have a much more uh, a clear view about where law reform was necessary and how one could argue for such law reform. Sounds a bit like what he's trying to do with the Labour Party, reorganise it, get it <laughs> instead of just being a talking shop. <laughs> I think you might be onto something there. I think he I think he's had experience of doing that. And I think he tried to do it at the at the Crime Prosecution Service when he was the director of public prosecutions. He's somebody who will know what's going on in every department. I mean, he is somebody who takes this sort of broad view. I mean, this is not somebody like, um, well, like some of our more previous uh, prime ministers, like uh, dear Boris, 
uh, don't go into the detail. Here is someone who's a detailed man. He's a details man. He really is interested in the fine print, knowing why things um, are being done in a particular way and then looking at how they can be more effective. So I think he is doing that to the Labour Party, it's true. Starmer, the junior barrister, also went on national television to argue that wigs and gowns for judges and lawyers should be scrapped and that courts should be more like GPs' health centres. That didn't stop him in 2002 from becoming a QC, Queen's Counsel, which is odd, he later remarked, since I often used to propose the abolition of the monarchy. Starmer's practice was largely based on human rights and among his pro bono work was the famous McLibel case, where he successfully defended two protesters who were being sued by McDonald's for defamation. Here's Bill Barring again. I think he's a good human rights lawyer, and actually I worked with him in 2007. He led me in taking the case of the uh, Russian uh, Alexander Litvinenko, who was murdered in London with polonium poison, I'm very glad to say we won the case um, on the 16th of September 2021 and the European Court of Human Rights found that Livonenko had been murdered by Russia. So I think Keir is an excellent uh, lawyer, a good human rights lawyer, uh, wrote a leading textbook on human rights and I think he's in his element in Prime Minister's questions when he's cross-examining whoever the um, uh, Prime Minister might be. I think he's excellent at that. But uh, what he's not good at is making speeches. And I think the uh, his speeches at Labour Party conference have improved, but he makes the impression of somebody who finds it very painful uh, to give such a speech. In 2008, to many people's surprise, Keir Starmer took the job which would put him on the national stage and ultimately take him into politics. Though, frankly, if he'd planned to go into politics when he took the post, he probably wouldn't have accepted the knighthood that went with it. And then a point came when the Director of Public Prosecution's role came up. And in fact, a previous pupil of mine, Ken MacDonald, had been the Director of Public Prosecutions prior to to Keir. And he now sits as a crossbencher in the House of Lords. Keir came to me and said, I've been approached about whether I would be interested in applying to become the Director of Public Prosecutions. And I encouraged him to do it because I thought it was very interesting. Um, we essentially do, did a lot of defence work and, it was, and a lot of judicial review and, uh, and a lot of uh, high-level civil work. But, we, but it was good for him to get a chance of uh, doing work leading um, the prosecutorial teams of the Crime Prosecution Service, and I thought it would be a very um, powerful role for him to have. And he was interviewed um, through different tiers, and he was eventually appointed to that role. And I think he was a very effective director of public prosecutions. That's important because it gives you a whole set of experience. It gives you experience of a managerial experience. It gives you experience of having to have a huge caseload. And, of course, many different um, senior prosecutors are conducting their own, you know, they, they have their own caseloads. But they come to the director 
who's who's basically um, the chief executive and is really uh, guiding the strategy of the CPS and so on. And I was thrilled because when he was in that role, he was very committed to um, uh, getting uh, better results in domestic violence and in relation to violence against women. And while it was, um, you know, it's, it's nowhere good enough, it was he took it to a, a much better level than had been the case before and, uh, and was involved in many of the cases um, that uh, were about trying to prosecute grooming of, of girls and so on in the northern cities. Starmer had been appointed Director of Public Prosecutions, or DPP, by the Brown government, but served most of his time under the coalition, where he impressed the Conservative Attorney General, Dominic Grieve. As DPP, Starmer was also head of the Crown Prosecution Service, the CPS, the state body which oversees criminal prosecutions in England and Wales, in charge of around 8,000 staff based in 13 different regions. He is to this day very proud of having run a big public organisation, which very few other politicians have. And his leitmotif right from the beginning was to modernise the CPS. That is, so he talks a lot about the modern prosecutor, and that is very much his phrase. And I think that in that sense he was a good director of public prosecutions. And I think it's very interesting that since becoming leader of the Labour Party, his uh, politics are very much politics of better government, modernisation. Um, modernize, he's in favour of retaining the United Kingdom and he has said in his speeches he wants to modernise it. So I would say throughout his career, uh, Kirsten has been a moderniser, uh, an organiser and a technocrat but not somebody with um, big visions. How do you feel when you see your former colleague uh, deciding that Jeremy Corbyn shouldn't be allowed to stand as a Labour candidate, when you see him presiding over a a selection system for candidates that has almost entirely excluded anybody you might describe as being on the left? Well, I would say that that is um, uh, very aptly conveyed by the word ruthless. So I would say that Keir Starmer is somebody who was absolutely determined to become leader of the Labour Party and worked very hard to do so, made a whole series of promises in order to get elected, which he's now ditching, or has ditched. And in his mind, this is expedience. In order to become prime minister, uh, he's decided he has to cut away, even though he served under Corbyn, of course, in the shadow cabinet, but he has made up his mind he has to cut away everything associated with that previous regime. And uh, as I said earlier on, I think a big problem with Keir is that he has no idea about the trade union movement or trade unions, actually. And I think that will give him a lot of grief in the future um, in the Labour Party. Elena Kennedy, who helped raise tens of thousands of pounds from fellow left-wing lawyers for Starmer's leadership campaign three years ago, remains much more positive about him. Do you think the young human rights lawyer has become 
too authoritarian as some think people think in the way he runs the Labour Party. I mean, most recently, of course, the decision to bat, to stop Jeremy Corbyn being a candidate, but also the the way in which the left have been almost annihilated when it comes to the selection of parliamentary candidates. The problem has been that uh, the Labour Party suffered the most massive defeat of the last election. And we've got to be clear about that. They were, they, we were virtually annihilated. And as a result, um, there has to ha- there's had to be a real rethink and a recovery of many people. I know lots of, of uh, I have lots of Jewish friends who basically said, I'll never vote Labour again. Well, I mean, that, that's a terrible thing that people feel that a party has been destroyed by that. Now, let me tell you, I do think that there was a there was a lot of gleefulness in certain sections of the media and uh, and certain kinds of trolling and so on that went on that was to exacerbate that. But there's no doubt that that there was an anti-Semitic problem in the Labour Party, and the problem was that Jeremy Corbyn didn't deal with it well. He didn't ever get on a train and travel up to Liverpool to see the young woman who was being um, harassed and uh, and uh, threatened and and suffering as a consequence. He didn't do the things that a sensible leader would normally do, and so. He has been faced with the business of having to resurrect almost from the grave a party that was annihilated. And so, of course, people are going to say um, they're not happy with how he's done it. And in some ways, I, I, you know, uh, um, I don't know whether it's a, a good idea banning somebody like uh, Jeremy Corbyn. But, but I do think he's been faced with an incredibly difficult task and he has to reassure the public the Labour Party is a party that they can vote for safely and that does um, uh, recognise the values that matter to the general public. Can't Starmer be accused of a, of, of a degree of deception as well in that the promises on which he was elected Labour leader, many of them have now been junked, like abolishing university tuition fees, you know, the man who only three years ago would describe Jeremy Corbyn as his friend now says he never was his friend. I mean, can he be trusted? Oh, oh Michael, you really are coming out with the, the, the stuff that you would normally see in the Daily Mail. Um, but look, the, um, no, these uh, are valid uh, questions. No, and, and, and come on, that is a valid question, no matter where it comes from. Yeah, It's a valid question because, because the question has arisen from certain sections of our society. Is he to be trusted? Um, I consider him to be a highly trustworthy person and I consider him as a person of integrity, a real integrity. And we can't pretend that we've seen an awful lot of that around um, in recent times uh, in, leader, uh, in our leadership. Look at what was happening. He was somebody who was, who was very much believed that, that it was the interest of the nation to remain in the European Union. And he led that. And it was important for him. We all persuaded him, stay in Corbyn is not a pro-European person. We need somebody who passionately believes in that to lead uh, uh, the, the campaign around that inside Labour and the period thereafter, after the referendum. So he was persuaded to stay in there. He wanted to go. He wanted to leave the Corbyn front bench. Yes, and many of us persuaded him that he should stay there because we needed to have a voice of sanity in there. The voice there of Baroness Helena Kennedy, a great admirer of Keir Starmer, who's played a major role over the years in promoting his career, both as a lawyer and as a politician. My thanks to her and also to Bill Bowring, a former left-wing colleague at the bar who takes a rather more sceptical view of Starmer, the would-be Prime Minister. Despite their political differences, both our contributors today admire Sir Keir Starmer for his organisational skills and his ability to modernise an institution be it the Haldane Society, the CPS or the Labour Party. Starmer may lack charisma, he may be uninspiring, 
But with the collapse of so many state institutions, the NHS, our universities, the police among them, perhaps a radical organiser, a moderniser, is just what Britain needs. That's all from this edition of Mugshots. And remember, you can catch up with our previous portraits, who include Angela Rayner, Kemi Badenoch, Ron DeSantis and Jurgen Klopp, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Goodbye. Mugshots was produced and presented by Michael Crick with Neil Fern and me, Alex Reese. The lead producer for Podmasters was Jacob Jarvis and the group editor was Andrew Harrison. Mugshots is a Podmasters production. Podmasters.